0: I encourage you to turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 19. And there's no shame if you've got to use the table of contents in the front of the Bible to find 2 Kings, that's okay. Uh, it is, it, it's probably not too often that you hear a sermon from 2 Kings. But we are working our way through the Bible right now. And this is where we find ourselves. It's been a part of our reading This past week, and I'm excited for the passage of Scripture that we're going to study together this morning. The kids stay with us today. Rather than releasing them to kids' crew, they're going to stay with us for worship today because we do that on the fourth Sunday of the month, and I'm excited for them to be here as well. When you came in, there were copies of what we call the Children's Worship Bulletin uh, at either of these pedestals on the entrances to my right and left, and if you didn't get one of those, it would be totally okay to just send them to go get one right now. That would be alright because it's, it will go along with the theme and the message today. And that's a great way that they can connect and, and do some activities as they follow along and learn from the Bible as well. Second Kings chapter 19, we're introduced really in chapter 18 to a character whose name is Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. And so at this point we have a divided kingdom Following David and and the rule of David, his son Solomon came to the throne, and Solomon ruled for a number of years as well. But after the time of Solomon, there was contention, there was struggle between the sons of Solomon over who would be the king over the nation of Israel, and that ultimately led to a divide, a divide between the the, the kingdom, as we know, that became a divided kingdom, between the tribes of Levi and Judah, which were the southern kingdom, which we began to call, or historians began to refer to as Judah, and then the tribes of the north, the northern ten tribes, which continued using the name Israel. So there's a divide here between Israel and between Judah, and there are a series of kings who reign over each kingdom, and what we see is a similar pattern that plays itself out in in both parts of the kingdom. That there is a secession of kings that that just descend to they, they seem to descend into moral bankruptcy, moral chaos that that one after the other they it 's like they make worse and worse choices and lead the nation of Israel further and further away from what God had called them to do along the way, there would be some bright spots along the way there might be a king who who honored the Lord, who did a few things right, maybe even who who tried to lead the nation back, but it would only last for a period of time. Now, in that sense, this period of time is very similar to the time of the judges, if you remember and if you read through the story of judges, because what we see is it's like with each leader, things get a little bit worse. With each person who, who comes in to rule, it's like things are— and, and at every point that you think, ah, this is about as bad as it could get— things then seem to turn a corner and get a little bit worse. And maybe, even as I'm saying that out loud, maybe you're thinking, well, I mean, that, that's true today. That could be said of us today. And if you've made that connection, then you're, then you're tracking exactly as I hope you would be. Now, not as I hope would be the case, right? Because uh, it, it's really a source of, of great uh, a great heartache, a great despair, that we find ourselves in the situation that we are in as uh, as a nation, as a, as a people, as a culture, and yet when we hear what's happening in the the time that these things were taking place, right? That this was this would these events would have been happening. The life of Hezekiah. This would have been what we refer to as the late eighth century. So, like the. The 700s, around the time of 710, roughly B.C., were the events that were taking place here in the life of Hezekiah and the in the time of the monarchs of the divided kingdom. And so, events that were happening really thousands of years ago are so much like events that are taking place today. And one of the things that I hope that you learn is that the lessons that we gain from studying the Scripture, from looking at the stories of real people with real problems and real situations, I hope that you can begin to say, well, okay, so the lessons that were true then are true now. Because the way that we saw God work then, the way that we see God speak, the way that we see that people ought to live then is not too dissimilar from now. Although, admittedly, our lives are completely different from the life of people in the ancient Near East, right? Yes. In so many ways, our lives are nothing like theirs. And yet, really, in a lot of in in a lot of senses, we, we share much in common, and I hope that you're connecting those dots. I hope you'll see that even this morning. Because what we see in the life, in the, in, in the reign of Hezekiah, is a king who sought to do what was right. He was an imperfect man. He was not a perfect king. He was not the perfect leader. And yet, he was a godly man who sought to do what was right and sought to lead the nation of Judah to honor the Lord and do what was right. And so, we see how God works in the life, in the reign of Hezekiah. So, Hezekiah comes to the throne following his, his father, who was known as Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king. Ahaz was a wicked king who did many evil things in the sight of God. And yet, when Hezekiah came to the throne, he sought to correct those wrongs. He sought to right the wrongs, to change the course, to lead the nation back to where they ought to be. When I was a young boy, people would often refer to me as Little Randy, at times, because my dad's name is Randy, and I was just a lot like my dad, both in terms of just my physical appearance, but also personality and other things, uh, had a lot in common with him. And I always wore that as a real sign of pride when I was young, right? To be little Randy, to be my father's son was always something that I was very proud of. I hope that someday my boys will be proud to say that they were like their father, or that sort of thing, right? We all want, and, and yet not everyone is blessed with a dad that they want to follow, that they want to emulate. Not everyone had a dad that they would say, I'm going to do things like my dad did. In fact, for some, maybe some even in this room, you had a dad, and it's almost like you've made a... a, a purposeful a conscious decision that you're going to do things differently from how your dad did them because maybe you look at your dad and you say ah he did all these things wrong and I'm going to seek to try to right the wrong break the generational curse do things differently than my dad did and if that's you then then you can identify with Hezekiah because Hezekiah sought to right the wrongs of his father by doing things differently by leading differently by being the king that his father wasn't. And God worked and God blessed for a period of time during the the life, the rule of Hezekiah. But there are other world events that are taking place. And so let me just kind of catch us up with the historical sense of what's taking place around the life of Hezekiah as well. So during the, the, the early years of Hezekiah's rule... The nation of Assyria, who at that point in time was the most dominant world power, the most dominant world force that we had seen in history up to that point in time. And the Assyrians came in and they conquered the northern tribes of Israel. And so they conquered the northern tribes. And when that took place, when the northern kingdom fell, Hezekiah saw the sort of the proverbial writing on the wall. And so he began to he began to take steps to try to strengthen and fortify Judah and the city of Jerusalem which was Judah's capital to ward off the the coming what he saw as the coming invasion of the Assyrians and also at that point in time he began to seek alliances with other nations and so one of the nations that Hezekiah sought to align or ally Israel with were the Egyptians well that drew the ire of the Assyrians. The Assyrians did not want the Israelites to align with, to partner with or or create any kind of a, a treaty or a pact with the Egyptians. And so when that took place, then the king of Assyria, who we're going to be introduced to here in the story, his name was Sennacherib. He he besieged on Lachish, which was a region of Judah, and he sought to he sought to capture the city of Jerusalem. And when all of these things were taking place, Sennacherib sent some of his generals to the front. And there they met with some of the sons of King Hezekiah. And they had they had this, uh, this, this meeting, this, this meeting to determine what was going to take place. And it's interesting when you read in the story, what you read is that Hezekiah's sons said to the, the generals of, of the Assyrian army, they said, would you speak to us in Aramean, which was the language of the Assyrian nation or the Assyrian court. Would you speak to us in the language of Aramean? Not in the language of our people, not in Hebrew, so that the people don't hear you. And after he said that, the general of of the Assyrian army spoke loudly in Hebrew so that all of the people on the wall of Jerusalem could hear him, and he began to taunt them, and he began to taunt their God, and he began to say, what will save you? We have conquered 46 other fortified cities and many other armies and many other nations like your nation, and their gods didn't come to their rescue. Who will save you when the Assyrians come to conquer you? And it was because of this, of course, that Hezekiah was greatly distressed, and so he sent word to the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you've read in the, in the Old Testament or you're familiar with the, the writings of the Old Testament, you know that Isaiah is one of the, the, the major prophets. It's one of the larger books of the Old Testament. And Isaiah was a prophet. He was a man of God who spoke to the nation and spoke into the life of kings and spoke into the life of the people. And one of the kings during Isaiah's prophetic ministry was Hezekiah. And so, Isaiah receives word from King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is greatly troubled and says, would you ask the Lord what we're to do? And Isaiah sends word to Hezekiah and he tells Hezekiah that the Lord promises that he will deliver you. Do not align yourself with the Egyptians. Do not give in to the demands of this king. But because you have served the Lord, because you have done what is right, God will preserve you and he will uphold you. And so we read, that Hezekiah defies the Assyrian king. He defies him. He's not going to give in to his requests any more than he already has. He's not going to, to bow down. He's, he's going to stand his ground. And so God did what he promised. In fact, we read at the end of... We're going to read from verses 14 to 19 in just a minute. But if you, if you just kind of glance ahead to 2 Kings 19, look at verse 35. You see that the angel of the Lord went into the the camp where the Assyrian army was encamped. So the angel of the Lord visited the Assyrian army at night as they were camped, as they had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And in one night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died. They woke the next morning to a dead army. And so the king packed up what was left and returned home defeated because God had delivered his people. But in the midst of all of this, one of the most striking parts of the story is the prayer that Hezekiah prays. And that's really what I want to be the focus of our, of the message of our study this morning, is this prayer that Hezekiah prays. Because what happens is, Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, sends letters to Hezekiah, and in these letters, he promises to lay waste to the city of Jerusalem and to totally destroy the kingdom of Judah if Hezekiah does not bow the knee to him and does not submit to his rule. And yet the Lord had spoken clearly to the prophet Isaiah that Isaiah, I mean, that Hezekiah was not to do this, that he was not to submit, that he was not to bow the knee. And so Hezekiah prays to the Lord and asks God to deliver him and deliver his people and that's what I want us to read the power of Hezekiah's prayer so this is 2nd Kings chapter 19 verse 14 where we read that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord that would have been the temple so Hezekiah goes to the temple and he takes the letter and he spreads it he lays it before the Lord And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib. "...which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone." You see that Hezekiah is so moved that he prays to God, believing in God's power, believing in God's might, his authority, and also calling on the Lord to preserve his name, preserve his people, in order that all the nations of the world may know that there is one true God, and it's not the Assyrians. In fact, the king of the Assyrians saw himself as a living God. He saw himself as the embodiment of a a living God. He thought that he was a deity of sorts, that he reigned supreme, and that all of his success in battle and all of his success and all of his military conquests were proof of his great power, of his great authority, that there were no gods of this earth who he could not conquer. And Hezekiah's humble prayers, oh Lord, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your renown, for the sake of your kingdom and your people, would you defeat this king? What a powerful prayer that is. What a powerful lesson we learn from Hezekiah's prayer that teach us so much about our prayer life because perhaps like, like me, maybe you would, if you were to be honest, you would confess, you know, I don't think my prayer life is probably what it ought to be. And the truth of the matter is, it really doesn't matter whether you spend a few minutes a day in prayer, whether you spend a few hours a day in prayer. I've never known a person who feels like, man, I have my prayer life is just amazing, right? Because one of the things that we learn about prayer is that prayer is sort of a bottomless well where we commune with God, where we connect with Him, where, we, where the Spirit of God moves in our hearts, where we learn from God as He moves us, as He stirs us, as He aligns our passions, our desires with His, as He aligns our will to His as we seek Him in prayer. We ought to be people of prayer, and we learn about what it means to be a people of prayer from Hezekiah. Some years ago, when I, had, when I was studying uh, in, in seminary, I had a professor who was the professor of a preaching class. Okay, so his, his job, if you will, was to teach us about preaching. But he started this course on preaching. The name of the course was Contemporary Expository Preaching. What a mouthful, right? But the way that he started the course on preaching was to tell us a story about a time when he was an undergraduate. Now, this professor was a big guy. I mean, a, a, a big guy. He was he, he played as a lineman for uh, football in, in college. He, he went to Union University and, and played football at Union University, and he was an offensive lineman. So he's a, a big guy. And he talked about a time when, as a student, as an undergraduate student, he had a few extra hours to burn, and that he could take a class from just any department. And so he decided that he was going to take a course in vocal music, because he always liked to sing. He wanted to be a preacher someday. Uh, he saw that that was the path that God was leading him on, and so he just thought, well, it'd be good if I could sing as well. And so he, he took a course on on vocal, uh, vocal singing, uh, vocal music course. And in this course, he said that the very first day he came in and the, and the professor had him to sing something and the professor basically said no 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 you're doing it all you're doing it all wrong and, and the professor, the professor said to him before i can teach you to sing i've got to teach you to breathe and so the professor had this big guy this big football player guy had him lie down on the ground and he said my professor wasn't a very big guy and he said okay i'm going to stand on you, I'm gonna stand on your chest, and so the professor literally stood on him, stood on his abdomen, and said, "Put all of his weight on him," and said, "Okay, now breathe." And uh, at first he was like, "I, I can't breathe," and he, the professor said, "You're a big tough guy. Come on, breathe." And so he he would breathe and, and he said that he had to really reach deep and really breathe from 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 his gut sort of right in order to breathe with the professor putting all of his weight on him and the professor said those are the muscles I want you to use when you sing and so this was the point that the the professor made with the preaching course he said men before I can teach you to preach first I've got to teach you to pray Because before you ever go to people and and claim that you've got a word from the Lord, before you are ever going to preach to to others and, and, and dare to tell them what God says to them first, you've got to spend time alone with God. You've got to spend time alone with the Lord in prayer. Now I tell you that story because that's that's impacted me in a great way, and that's really helped shape my ministry and the way that I do things. But I also think that that's very practical. You may not think of yourself as a a preacher of sorts, but every one of us have a role to play in God's kingdom. And a part of that work that we're all called to is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. The word preach, in fact, in the New Testament, that word can also be translated as proclaim. And so every one of us, you may not do what I do, you may not stand in a pulpit and preach the word to people, but we all have a role in proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the excellency of Christ for others. But before we can ever hope to share that message with others, first we have to learn to commune with God, to go before him in prayer, to align our hearts, to align our lives, to align our desires with the Lord in prayer. My hope is that we will learn from this prayer of Hezekiah, some important instructive things that will, that will help us in our prayer life as well. The first thing that we see is, is this, and no, you'll notice, of course, on the backside of your worship guide, you can follow along, that when we pray, we must recognize God's power. We must recognize God's power. Think about it this way. It wouldn't do us any good to go to the Lord in prayer if we didn't think that our prayers would actually accomplish anything would it why would we pray to god if we didn't believe that that the lord has power to hear and to answer our prayers and so when we go before the lord in prayer we must recognize his power notice how hezekiah does this in his prayer we read that hezekiah prayed before the lord "O lord The God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven in earth. And so he recognizes God's power. Oh, Lord, you are God. The Assyrian general, he's not God. The gods of the other nations that the Assyrians have conquered, they were not gods. They were just false idols made of wood and stone. These were the object of men's design. But, oh Lord, you are God. There is none like you. There is none who has power like you. He recognized God's power. and One of the things that we need to do in prayer is to recognize God's power, which means that we must humble ourselves right we must submit we must yield we must bow ourselves to the lord in prayer recognizing his power over the things in our lives recognizing his power and his authority over all the things that we would bring before god in prayer we recognize his power i find it interesting here that in in the way that hezekiah words this enthroned above the cherubim you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms. Essentially what Hezekiah is doing is he is ascribing to the Lord his greatness. He's saying, God, you are, you, there is, there is nothing that compares with you. You're greater than all the other powers, all the other authorities, all the angels, all the realms. Lord, you are greater than all of it. He recognized God's power over all things and we would do well when we pray. Not just with our language, mind you. Because it's one thing to give lip service, but it's another thing to actually believe in our hearts that the God we are praying to has power. And If you really want to know what you believe about God's pra- power, then keep track of what it is that you pray for. Because what we pray for actually tells us a lot about what we believe about the one that we're praying to. What we pray for, what we ask God for. Are the things that you are praying to God for, things that you could accomplish without Him, things without His intervention, without His, or do you, do you dare boldly to go before the God of all creation and pray and ask for Him to do what only He can do, to ask for His might, to ask for His power, to ask for Him to move? We ought to recognize God's power. And part of that even comes just into practically what it is that we're praying for. The second lesson that I, we learn from Hezekiah's prayer, though, is that we would request. God's intervention. Not only that we recognize God has power, but that we ask him to move in our lives in light of that power, in light of who he is, in light of his authority, in light of things that we say, Lord, would you work in my life in this way because of your authority, because of your power, that we request his intervention in our lives. Verse 17, he prays, rather in verse 16, he prays, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. He's asking the Lord, Lord, do you see these things? Do you hear these things? Lord, I'm asking, you know all things, Lord. You know what's taken place. You know what this wicked king has said, how he has mocked you before your people, before the nations. You know the things that he's done, Lord. Would you you intervene on our behalf, asking God to move in a way that would bring honor to him? In a way that would glorify him. Not, in a, not so that Hezekiah would be exalted. Not even so that Judah would be exalted. But so that the Lord would be exalted among the nations. And when we pray, we ought to seek God's intervention. Not just so that we get what we want. Not just so that God would work and, and, and we get our way. But we ought to seek God's intervention in a way that would bring honor and glory to him. That was so great a minute ago, even when Reagan prayed and he prayed, Lord, forgive us when we make it about us. Which We do that, don't we? Isn't that the way that we live our lives so much of the time, even our spiritual life, that we make it about us? That we want to see God do what we want Him to do. And we want God to work on our timeline and our agenda according to our plans and our purposes. And frankly, we get, we get frustrated when He doesn't. But what we, what we really believe shows up not just when we pray to this God who is powerful, but when we ask, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray that God's work would be done in his way, on his timeline, according to his timetable, according to his plan and his agenda, not so that we would be exalted, but so that he would be exalted through us. We request his intervention, as it were. We request his work, his power, his movement, not so that people would think more of us, but so that people would see Jesus in us. That's the point. That's the purpose. Third, we renounce worldly ways. We learn here from Hezekiah to renounce worldly ways. Hezekiah goes on to say, these, the king of Assyria, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to nations and their lands. They've cast their gods into the fire. He's talking about, so this worldly king has conquered these other worldly kingdoms. But Hezekiah is saying, Lord, all that comes to nothing. Because that's all, that, that, these were false gods conquered by a wicked king. All that means nothing before you. He renounces the worldliness of this king and his works and his in his might, and he's praying instead for God's power to be on display. When we pray before the Lord, may we too renounce worldly ways. We don't pray seeking for God to exalt us. We don't pray just asking for God to give us all the things as though it, it's been described, that God is the way that sometimes Christians pray. It's like God is sort of a, a cosmic vending machine, right, that we go before him, and we put in some prayer, and we say, all right, give me this, I, I prayed, I, God, I asked, why don't you give me this thing? But we have to recognize that God is hes enthroned above the heavens, as Hezekiah prays here. He is powerful. He is, he is authoritative. He is over all things. And so when we pray, we renounce this world and, this, and the worldliness. We're not asking for God to, to do things that would... We don't pray that God would exalt uh, us, but that He would exalt Jesus through us. We don't pray that God would make much of First Baptist Church, but that he would make much of Jesus through First Baptist Church. We don't pray that God would do great things for America, but that God would reveal himself in America and through our leadership and that he would use us to be a light to other nations, right? You see the point? You see the difference? It's not God exalt us, lift us up, make much of us. It's God may you be exalted in us, through us, by our works, We renounce worldliness and we pursue godliness. God, may you be exalted among us. And then finally, in Hezekiah's prayer, we see that he receives salvation. Verse 19, so now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. What was the purpose of Salvation, as Hezekiah saw it, for the display of God's greatness, for the display of God's glory. The reason that Hezekiah prayed that they might be saved is so that the power of God would be on display through them. The same reason that we should pray and seek, God's sal- seek salvation from the Lord, the same reason we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as Savior, is again, not to make much of us, but so that we become a part of his kingdom. We receive the adoption as sons through faith in Jesus Christ, that we receive what we could never earn on our own, forgiveness of sin, newness of life in Christ, in order that God's greatness and his glory would be on display in us because God gets the glory when we turn to him for salvation. God gets the glory when we turn from our sin and turn to Him as Savior, God is glorified among us. His power made known in our lives when we humble ourselves, when we confess that there is no salvation, there is nothing else, no name whereby we can be saved. When we look to Him for our salvation, for our deliverance from sin, when we turn to Him in faith, God is glorified. Which is why I often say that God is always at work in a way that is for His glory and your good. Because when God's glory is displayed in your life, you get the benefit. You receive the good. When God is glorified, when He is exalted, you and I receive the blessing that that comes from that as well. But the reason we seek that is not for the blessing, but for for the one who saves. That we might be submitted, surrendered to Him. That we would receive His salvation. And, And salvation came to Hezekiah. Think about that. Try in your mind, even if you can, to picture an army of 185,000. I don't know what the largest physical gathering of people that you've ever been to is, uh, but I I imagine that it's not 185,000. In in fact, uh, a lot of football teams are having their spring game right now, and, and if you were to go to uh, Owen Memorial Stadium in Norman, and, and you were to be there on a, a Saturday this fall, there's going to be just north of 85,000 people that fill that stadium, okay? And that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people in that football stadium. Add 100,000 more, right? Double it and then some. And that's, that's the number of the Assyrian army that died just because the, because the Lord sent his angel to visit them to bring death and destruction. Why? Why? Because that's the power of this God. Solomon wrote in the Proverbs that the king's heart is like a river of water in the hand of God. He steers it where he will. This same God has power and might to do all that he will, all that, that he would do. And when we come to him in prayer, we humble ourselves before him. We seek that power to be at work in us first and then through us so that Jesus may be exalted. It's like my professor said, before you can do anything else, you've got to learn to pray. May we learn to be a people who seek the Lord in prayer so that His glory and His goodness may be revealed through us so that others would see Jesus on display in our lives. And the last thing I I would say about all of this this morning is just simply... The reason that Isaiah, excuse me, Hezekiah sought salvation from the Lord is because there was no one else by which he could be saved. As great of a man as Isaiah was, Isaiah was powerless to save Hezekiah. As, as great of a king as Hezekiah was, he, he did not have what it took. Even, even as great of, of a king as, as, as the greatest of kings, right? That, uh, let's say his forefather David, Who was revered by Hezekiah and all those who came after David. Wasn't enough to save him from an army of hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands. But Hezekiah knew that God could deliver him. And so he sought the Lord. And maybe as you're thinking about connecting all of the dots this morning, maybe maybe you feel like you've turned to all the other things that you can turn to, but you've never been delivered. Maybe you've never turned to Jesus, though, the one who truly has the power to save. See, the reason why there's salvation in no one else, the reason why there's salvation in no other God, no other system, no other religion, no other way is because at at its end, all of that is empty. It's meaningless. It's It's like the idols here that Hezekiah prays about. The reason the other gods didn't save the other nations is because they weren't real to begin with. They weren't really God. But Hezekiah prayed, but oh Lord, you are God. Today, if you're here, you've never trusted Jesus by faith. You've never surrendered your life to him. I pray that today would be the day that you would recognize that there is salvation in no one else, no other name by which we might be saved. and that Today, you would be willing to turn your heart and your life to Jesus by faith. Surrender your life to him. Seek him. Seek his power. Seek his intervention in your life to save you from his, your sins. Seek his, his power. Renounce your worldly wicked ways. Turn to him in faith and receive his salvation today you may be saved from your sins through placing your faith and your trust in jesus i'd like you to join me now in a moment of prayer and we're going to prepare for just a, a moment of response a time of responseful worship where we where we sing a song together and and we point our hearts to the lord this morning and even in this time if god is stirring your heart then when we When when we begin singing in a moment after I'm done praying, I would encourage you, you would step out by faith today. If you're ready to trust Jesus, to surrender your life to him, you would step forward and come, just walk the aisle to the front where myself, Brad will be our staff. We'd love to pray with you and walk you through a prayer of faith that you might surrender your life to Jesus. Or maybe maybe the Lord is burdening your heart today that you would pray the way that Hezekiah prayed, that you would seek the Lord in prayer. Then even as we respond to the Lord, would you make this your moment? To pray to Him in faith. You can use the steps of this stage as an altar where you might meet with the Lord this morning, but it doesn't take that. You can pray from where you are as well. Just simply connecting with, communing with God in prayer as you seek His power, His intervention. You renounce worldly ways and rest in His salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you in prayer this morning. And our desire is to humble ourselves and seek your power, seek your work among us. God, may you reveal yourself to us clearly. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you by faith, this might be the day, this might be the moment that they would turn to you and surrender their life to you, confessing you as Lord and Savior. As We often say turning from sin and turning to you as Savior. That you might save them from their sins. And Lord, for all of us who have trusted in you by faith. Would you continue to work in our hearts as we seek to align our hearts and our lives with you? We want to be a people of prayer, God, who seek your movement, your power at work among us. And so we look to you in faith this morning. Move in our midst, we pray, Jesus. Amen.